Thank you for this invitation to address the false gospel, the false gospel of racism. The false gospel of racism. And why do I call it a false gospel? I call it a false gospel because it is contrary to the true gospel of Jesus Christ as found in Scripture. It is heresy, it is satanic, it is wicked, it is unbelief, and it sends people to hell. The false gospel of racism. You'll understand in a few moments what I mean by racism and what we're talking about. We are talking about our, our current controversy and what's happening in the United States and even in other parts of the world. And many Christians have been deceived by this. Many professing to be Christians, those in churches, are deceived by what's happening all around them. They're not thinking clearly, they're not thinking biblically, and they should. They need to think in terms of the true gospel, what it is, and whatever's contrary to it must be rejected. No Christian should have anything to do with the current conflicts and the current violence and the current rhetoric happening in our culture. No Christian should have anything to do with it except to expose it for what it really is. Firstly, what is the true gospel? 1 Corinthians 15 describes it. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 calls this the gospel. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you. By, um, unless you believe in vain, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul describes the Gospel here, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins if we believe, unless we believe in vain. We may have a false belief, not truly believing in that truth. Jesus said in Luke 24, 46-47, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. All the nations of the world should believe in the true gospel and repent of their sins. Acts 20, 21, declaring to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the true gospel. Christ, his death, and burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. We must repent of our sins and believe in him that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. Now, what if someone preaches contrary to it? We have Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. This letter was written by a very passionate and provoked Apostle Paul. Very passionate and provoked Apostle Paul. Galatians 1.6 I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel, contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, 
Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul says that anyone, even an angel from heaven or himself, if anyone preaches contrary to the true gospel, then there is a curse on him, a curse on that individual. We have in Galatians 2, 11 to 13, two of the prominent Christians in the early church who fell susceptible to a false gospel. In 2.11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Cephas, Barnabas, and the rest of the Jews are all in hypocrisy. Why? Because of the Judaizers, they weren't eating with the brethren as they used to eat. They weren't eating with the Gentiles as they used to eat. They kept away from the Gentiles and, and stuck with the Jews. Now, he says it's hypocrisy, and in verse 11, he stood condemned. If we were to think about that today, we would not consider that an egregious sin worthy of death and condemnation. But it is because the implication of the gospel means we fellowship Jew and Gentile alike with one another just like that, in one body together. But once that is breached, once there is a doctrine or a practice that breaches that, that person who preaches it stands condemned. And those who act on it stand condemned. It is a serious sin. Now, I also said that anything contrary to the gospel is from Satan. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. But the Spirit, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Here, heresy, or something from Satan, is forbidding marriage and abstaining from foods, abstaining from certain foods. If anyone preaches that you shouldn't get married or it's not good to get married, someone preaches, eat this, don't eat that, and you'll be godly, it's a part of the gospel, somebody preaches that way, then he's paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. It's serious. It's not something as a matter of opinion, it's not a matter of preference, it is serious. We cannot do that because it's contrary to the true gospel. And if we do that, we are following Satan. In 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verses 1 to 16, the apostle has been teaching on widows and who should care for the widows. And when he speaks of the younger widows, he says in verse 13, he describes them, and at the same time, they also learn to be idle. As they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. This is their sinful behavior. And in verse 15, he says, 
Some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Some of these younger widows have persisted in their sinful behavior. We might summarize it as them being busybodies. So if a widow is a busybody and not remarrying, bearing children, and keeping house, and giving the enemy no occasion for reproach, if she's not doing that, then she's a follower of Satan, the Bible says. The Bible takes it very seriously. The Bible says it's contrary to the gospel. And I point out these references to you about what it means to be a heretic, to be a follower of Satan, to believe and practice the false gospel, because we don't have a correct definition of truth and error, of the true gospel and heresy. We think heresy is something very bizarre and different, and hardly anybody we know practices or believes in heresy. That's the way, the relativistic way, postmodern way, we believe these days. There's nobody who commits heresy except the person who calls something heresy. That's the re really the way people look at it. But it's wrong. Churches should not be that way. James 2, 10 and 11, he who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, and stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. The danger we have is we think, that, well, just one breach or one difference over here and one difference over there is okay, we'll be just fine, don't make a big deal about it. No, if it does not conform to Scripture, we should say something about it. We should adhere to Scripture and reject whatever is contrary to Scripture. And this happens even in the church. Jude verse 4. Jude verse 4. There are twin sins or twin categories, two categories of where every sin can fall. And often they are interrelated. But the two major categories are in Jude 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. People creep into the church unaware. Not unaware by God, but unaware by us. And the two sins, we have a denial of the law of God by practicing sin or licentiousness, and a denial of the Lordship of Christ, meaning there are other ways and multiple ways to be saved and go to heaven. But Jude says no. And actually that is a summary of the Ten Commandments. The first part of the Ten Commandments is only one true Lord that we should believe in for our for salvation and our adherence and allegiance. Only one Lord and then one set of moral doctrines summarized in the second half of the Ten Commandments. That's, that's what we have in Jude verse 4. But there will always be people, because they are controlled by Satan, infiltrating the church and teaching people to do and believe things contrary to those doctrines, the doctrines or the commandments, the Ten Commandments. And we cannot say, well, they, they have good intentions. <laughs> they mean well. Nobody's perfect. Are you perfect, they'll say? He does a lot of good, after all. He does a lot of good. He's done a lot of good over the years. Well, Hitler, didn't he do some good too? Didn't Hitler, wasn't Hitler a good speaker, a very persuasive and charismatic speaker? 
Able to draw crowds? Isn't that a wonderful skill? Don't we admire that skill? He had that skill. Of course, the content was the problem. Not his winsomeness, not his charisma, but the content. Was he not a good leader? He was able to amass and organize many, many people, even the nation, whether the commoners or those in the military, the officials, the government. He was able to be a great and masterful leader and organizer. Was he not very skilled and shrewd in deceiving Joseph Stalin? For he invaded Poland and Stalin was caught off guard. He had that ability, he had military prowess, ability in diplomatic and military concerns. So, shall we say Hitler wasn't all that bad? No, who's gonna say that? The Nazis weren't all that bad? So don't be so harsh against Hitler and the Nazis? No, you would be insane to say that. The same with Satan. Satan himself, if we're going to say, well, they do a lot of good, they have some good qualities in them, even Satan, we might call him knowledgeable. He has more knowledge than you and me. He knows the Bible more than you and me. He's very knowledgeable, and knowledge is a virtue. Isn't he very powerful? Of course he's very powerful. He has the ability in his wily ways to deceive people with his power, with his abilities. He's got power, greater power than you and me, uh, you and I, right? Yeah. So he's got virtues too, if we want to call them virtues. But the Bible does not expect us to think in those categories, to look at it that way. When anything contradicts true gospel in the Bible, we have to confront it, speak against it, identify it as being man-made, Satan-made, hellish unbelief and wickedness. That's what we should do. And I'm talking about obvious things. You will say, well, some things are not so obvious. No. What I'm about to say has to do with very clear and obvious things, doctrines and deeds that are being believed and practiced today. Very obvious ones. Should be obvious to anyone with a conscience, anyone with common sense, and anyone with a knowledge of Scripture. Next is Scripture. Another thing that is problematic with, with this false gospel of racism is their doctrine of Scripture. We know from Scripture that the Scripture is inspired from God, inerrant, and authoritative for everything in life and godliness. The Scriptures are inspired and authoritative for beliefs and behavior, for our commandments, for everything about what we do. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is where our authority comes. It comes from scripture. And it makes us adequate for every good work. Second, Tim, uh, second Peter, Second Peter, chapter three. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. The scriptures of the Old Testament prophets, the scriptures of the New Testament apostles. This is what we should remember. These should be our guide. The scriptures are our source of knowledge, doctrine, authority, we should not budge on what 
the Holy Scriptures teach. Don't budge whatsoever. Do not exceed what is written. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Even when we pray, even when we pray, Proverbs 28, 9, he who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 8, 19 and 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Psalm 119, 128, therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Romans 3, 4, let God be found true, though every man a liar. Whatever the scripture says on any issue, on any subject, whatever it addresses, it is true and authoritative, and we should not compromise on what it says. Anything outside of it is false and devilish, man-made, natural, earthly, and demonic. That's what it is. Why is this important? Why is our doctrine of Scripture, the sufficiency and authority of Scripture, so important? Because in the false gospel of racism, we have an anti-biblical canon, an anti-biblical canon or collection of books, collection of writings, collections of sermons, collections of websites, collections of blogs. You will hear statements such as, you need to read these books, you need to read these authors, you don't understand what, what you're saying. You need to consult these websites. You need to consult these articles. And they promote a canon or a collection of their favorite creatures. They collect it and recommend that you read and are consumed by those books, and they don't or hardly encourage reading the Bible. Right. Authors, pastors, theologians such as Tim Keller, John Piper, Al Mohler, Russell Moore, J.D. Greer, Mark Dever, Matt Chandler, and many others. What they're doing is doing just like the Catholics do. The Catholics have their magisterium, right? Their collection of scholar, priests, right? Holy men who are studied and they know whatever. And whatever they pronounce, whatever they say on an issue is the way we should believe. That's the way it works. So we have with these men, an evangelical magisterium. An evangelical magisterium. We're no better than the Catholics. All we have is just different names. And in fact, actually, many of these same names openly, without any shame, say that we should join with Catholics, such as Tim Keller, such as Russell Moore. They have made statements to that effect, that we need to bridge the gap between Catholics and evangelicals which is false and wrong and heretical. And if we don't abide by their anti-biblical canon, now, I'm calling it anti-biblical. They will say, no, 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 no. You just need to read these books, and then you'll have a proper understanding of the Bible. You see, we have misread the Bible all these years. People who just read the Bible, they misread the Bible. You need to read these books to understand the Bible. So you can't understand the Bible alone, on your own. It's not clear enough. And if you suggest that we should not read their evangelical magisterial books, then you're ignorant, you're intolerant, you're unloving, you are insensitive, you're unchristian, you're unchristlike. These are the 
labels that they throw on us. These are the names that they call us. They tell us we should not call people names, but they call us these names. They tell us to be tolerant, but they are very intolerant the moment we speak up and say something contrary to their beliefs. It's the complete opposite of what they say. Thirdly, they have the wrong God. They have the wrong God. They do not have the biblical God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Isaiah, the Apostle Paul. They do not believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God Almighty, according to the doctrines of the Bible. They have the wrong God. And in these movements, in these so-called movements, these are really uh, mobs, thugs, gangs, violent criminals. Here, they have a collection of so-called Christians alongside atheists, Mohammedans, communists, and they will even encourage Christians to bow for forgiveness in the presence of black people. Wash their feet, shine their shoes, things like that. They are encouraging us to do those kinds of things. Now, we're only supposed to worship the God of the Bible. So how can we tell the atheist we have a lot in common? How can we tell the Mohammedan, the Muslim, we have a lot in common? How can we tell the communists who believe in evolution and don't have the correct view of God? They don't have any view, a proper view of the God of the Bible. They don't have a proper view of man. The world, the history of the world, of science. In the name of science, they're pseudoscience. They're contrary to science in the things that they purport. We have the wrong God. We also have the wrong God in terms of justice. They like to champion this word justice. Social justice. We believe in justice, they say. When actually, they don't believe in biblical justice. <laughs> Their justice is a false justice. The justice of the Bible... Exodus 23. Exodus 23. What is the justice of the Bible? Exodus 23, 1 to 9. You shall not carry a false rumor. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow a multitude in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox, or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. And you shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. And you shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. We're supposed to keep away from false rumors, not be uh, joined with wicked men and be a malicious witness. That's happening all around us. Yeah. In the people who are seeking justice, so-called, social justice, they are the ones doing all this they are the ones who are following a multitude and doing evil. They're doing evil. It's clearly evil. 
They testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. When a police officer, for example, in Atlanta, Georgia, is trying to subdue a criminal, and the criminal has a weapon, a taser, and he is dangerous to that police officer and to the other officer when he's a danger like that, and he is a criminal, then how is it that the district attorney, how is it that the district attorney could say to the police officer or indict the police officer for murder? Because he was able to get his bearings well enough to pull out his weapon and shoot the criminal and kill him. How is it he was in a life-threatening situation and the district attorney turns it against the police officer? When the man was a criminal, he was engaging in criminal activity, he was abusing the police officers, and he's trying to run away from it. And he's got a weapon, the taser in his hand. Though the police officer likely didn't know he had a taser in his hand. Right here, we're not supposed to pervert justice. District attorney of that section of Atlanta, don't be partial to a poor man in his dispute. Be objective. Actually, if somebody is your enemy or someone who hates you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to love your enemy, according to verses 4 and 5. Love your enemy. And in verse 6 and on, don't pervert justice. Keep away from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent or the righteous. That's what's happening now. Innocent and righteous people are being put to death with all of the riots, with all of the vandalism, all of the shootings, all of the anarchy, it's happening right now. Innocent and righteous people who had nothing to do with the purported valid reason for starting all of this mayhem in the first place. Nothing. They don't believe in justice, contrary justice. They also do not believe in love. I'm saying they have the wrong God. They don't believe in the God of love. John 13, John 13, 34 to 35. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If they love one another, they would not be assassinating, they would not be looting, they will, would not be practicing arson, um, arsony, they would not be looting, they would not be doing any of these kinds of things if they truly love, their, and they call themselves Christians, loving their Christian neighbor. They wouldn't be doing any of those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I don't see that these anarchists and rioters practicing this. No. They're not doing this at all. They're doing the complete opposite. That's why Christians should have nothing to do with it. No Christian should identify himself with these gangsters and violent thugs. Number four, point number four, their doctrine of man. 
their doctrine of man, of the false gospel of racism, the doctrine of man is corrupt. The Bible teaches that the image of God is in all humans. All humans, male or female, it doesn't matter in which part of the world you live, doesn't matter what language you speak, all humans are created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 to 27, let us make man in our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the creeping things over the earth. So then God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right? He created male and female in the image of God. That's Adam and Eve first, but it continues. James 3.9 says that we all have been created in the likeness of God. We've all been created in the likeness of God. But they don't believe that because they in their rhetoric, they elevate one race against all others. Yep. They elevate one race, the black race, against all others. They don't believe in the image of God. Their own religion does not believe this. In fact, their own religion says whites have racism in their DNA. <laughs> really, Van Jones, CNN, on CNN, Van Jones, an avowed communist, says, he's a black man, and he says, whites have racism in their DNA. Now, if that's, the, if that's correct, and he says it's impossible to remove it. <laughs> he says it's there, and it's impossible to remove it. Maybe, maybe if Bill Gates or George Soros finds a... Um, uh, a, a cure, right? A cure to the virus, or a cure to the DNA, maybe then it could be removed. But you know, really, what are they doing? They are blaming God. Yep. Because who created the white man? God did. They are blaming God. They don't even believe in the God of the Bible. But that's what they're doing. Then my question is, if whiteness or white, uh, being white means you are a racist because of your DNA, then what percentage of whiteness means you, that you are a racist? What if you are half white? Are you a racist? Are you, are you considered black or are you considered white? What is that? What category are we gonna put that? And then if being half white means you are a racist, then we have to call Barack Hussein Obama a racist because his mother was white. Obama is a racist according to their own definition. Further, their doctrine of man is corrupt. Why? Because they don't believe in original sin as described in the Bible. According to them, original sin is American slavery, specifically American slavery. Original sin is American slavery, not Adam's sin. That's what they believe original sin is. Well, my question is, do they really understand what they're talking about? Where, from where does the word slavery derive? From where? If you check the dictionary, which I did recently, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, hardbound copy, it says that it originated in the frequent enslavement of the Slavic people 
in Central Europe. Frequent enslavement of the Slavic people in Central Europe. Well, who enslaved the white Slavic people in Central Europe? But other Europeans, white Europeans. Whites enslaved other whites. Now, if whites enslaved other whites, then why are we just talking about it from one direction? Whites enslaving blacks in the United States. What about blacks who enslave blacks? They've done that in Africa. They're still doing that in Africa. In Africa, also Arabs. Yeah. Arabs, in, for example, in Somalia. The Arabs in Somalia are enslaving the blacks of Somalia. And who is talking about that? Is there any uproar about that? I haven't heard anything. They're being inconsistent. And then what about others? How are we going to identify and deal with brown people, such as I am? In what way are we going to deal with any of the original sins of the brown people? What about the original sins of the red people? Right? The tribes of America and South America, they enslaved one another, mistreated one another. What about the yellow people in East Asia? What about when in World War II, the Japanese enslaved the Koreans? What about them? What's going to happen there? Are they going to rectify that problem too? And besides, these problems, not only are they impossible to rectify, because how are we going to specifically deal with each issue, and how are we specifically going to deal fairly in the eyes of everybody? It's impossible. It's impossible to do. First, there's the impossibility of it. Next, we have to realize that, at least in the United States, slavery has been addressed. The U.S. suffered a civil war yeah. with 600,000 dead men. 600,000. They have already dealt with it. Correct? If they have already dealt with it, why are we trying to rehash it? Why are we trying to deal with it again? And then, will they acknowledge that it does no good to blame our ancestors. That doesn't work either in terms of factually speaking because only a small percentage of Americans, white Americans, enslaved others. Only a very small percent, 1.4%. 1.4, well what about the other 99.5% or 98.5%, what about them? Why are we mistreating them or mistreating their descendants today when just a small percentage? And then what about black people in the United States enslaving other black people in the United States? How are we going to figure out, in terms of the current descendants, who had a black ancestor who was a master of a black slave? And are we going to deal justly with that situation? No. They're not going to deal with it. They don't know. They, they are just throwing out and spitting out so many lies and confusion for their wicked agenda. And then, what place does repentance have for man? What place does They have no place for biblical repentance. They also need to ask the question of actual sins. Why, in terms of our actual sins, 
that is, the sins that you and I commit day by day, why are we so focused on this one? Yeah. What about the many other sins people commit? Why is only the sin of racism the one that's being addressed? Why is it not the sin of fornication? Right. Why is it not the sin of pornography? Why is it not the sin of adultery? Why is it not the sin of divorce? Why is it not any other kind of sin of murder or theft? Why is the sin of idolatry tolerated? Why are all of these other sins tolerated, and in fact, not only tolerated, but celebrated in our popular culture? <clears throat> but suddenly, racism is a blight? No. That's because they have a corrupt view of man according to the Bible. The Bible has the correct view, but they have a corrupt view of man and of sin. They don't think, in fact, that all these other sins I've mentioned are really sins. They don't believe that. Number five, they have a corrupt view, a false view of substitutionary atonement. They don't believe in substitutionary atonement, that Christ died for our sins. They don't believe in that. They don't believe that he died the just for the unjust. First Peter 3, 18. They don't believe in that, because if they believed in it, then we would confess, repent, be reconciled to God and one another. Yeah. But because they don't believe that, what do they promote? They promote penance, ad infinitum. They promote penance without any limits. There is no boundary, there is no limit to what kind of penance or actions they expect white people toward black people. Yes, the Black Entertainment Network executive, he says that it should be $14 trillion of reparations. $14 trillion of reparations. That's what he suggests. Hey, by the way, if, if he is not a racist, why does he, he call it black entertainment television? Right. Can we have brown entertainment to support people like me? Can we have yellow entertainment to, to support the Asian, the East Asians? Can we have white entertainment? Or is he a racist and only wants black entertainment? Just to think in those categories is racist. But he does so, and there is no limit to what they want. 14 trillion, how did he calculate 14 trillion? Why did he not say 28 trillion or 100 trillion? Why? There's no end to it. And even there's no end to it in terms of their day-to-day -day demands. So if I, if I bow the knee to a black man or a white man bows the knee to a, a black man, is that gonna solve it all? No. He's still going to uh, spit out and vomit horrific names against you. It's not gonna help the situation. He's still gonna expect reparations. He's still gonna expect this and that and the other thing. They will even say, which I heard recently, a handful of black people in a predominantly white church, it's a, and that even is a small church, about 75 people, that this, this group says, we need to have more black people here to outnumber the white people so we can have our way in this local church. Really? So that's going to help the situation too? Why even think in those categories? Because they don't believe in mercy. They don't believe in love. They don't believe in repentance for forgiveness of sins. Even if, in whatever specific scenarios, racism 
genuinely has occurred. They don't believe in repentance for forgiveness of sins because they don't believe Jesus died for them. You need to have on earth an ad infinitum purgatory. Catholics have purgatory after death, but now even evangelicals believe in an earthly purgatory. There is no end to the things you must do to purge your racism throughout your life. There's no end. In fact, you can't do it because your DNA is against it. Number six, the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the church. They have a corrupt view of the body of Christ, the church. In the Bible, the body of Christ includes Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Well, we read in Galatians that we're all one in Christ, and if we're all one in Christ, why do we have these labels constantly thrown around Black and white, black and white, and naming organizations, name, uh, naming television networks, naming all kinds of things black. Black, 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 black. Why are we doing that? We have to de-emphasize that if we're going to be one in Christ, especially in the local church, right? And he says in Ephesians that we, outside of Israel, we were separate from Christ, Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Isn't that more significant than the color of the skin? Yep. Isn't that more significant? If we really believed it, why are we constantly instigating, rabble-rousing in churches or in, within Christianity? Why are we doing that? Or any Christian doing that in the culture? It should not be happening. Because what's most important is Christ and the gospel. That's what's important. Yes, yes we preach against sin, but all sin. All sin. And number seven. Number seven, the reason why it's a false gospel is it clearly militates against our attitude toward government. Our attitude toward government is explicitly denied. 1st Timothy, 1st Timothy chapter 2, 1st Timothy chapter 2. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. What should our attitude be towards the government? We should he urges us, and he says, first of all, first of all, he urges us to offer entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Which all men? For kings and all who are in authority. That's the Christian attitude, but the kind of rancor, the kind of cacophony, the kind of rhetoric that's now being promoted throughout the culture is contrary to this. It's not a prayerful 
thankful attitude. It's a very spiteful attitude, very evil, suspicious attitude. It's a very destructive and violent attitude towards the government. No Christian should be participating in that. And also, for what purpose? Verse 2 says, 1 Timothy 2.2, 2, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We ought to pray that the government allows us, allows us to live the Christian life according to the word of God. That should be our prayer. But that's not their prayer. That's not their concern if they do pray. That's not their concern. They want their pernicious and political agenda. First, uh, first Peter, first Peter chapter two. First Peter two, thirteen to seventeen. Our attitude towards the government. First Peter two, thirteen to seventeen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human, human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Our attitude should be one of submission to the extent that they conform to the scriptures. And what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to punish evildoers and praise those who do right. But currently, criminals are being praised and called martyrs. Criminals are being praised and called martyrs. For example, George Floyd, he should not have died the way he died, but he was a serial criminal. He was a felon, and he was also in trouble at the time because he had two illicit drugs, dangerous drugs in his body. He was a criminal. Why is he celebrated as a martyr? He's no martyr. He should have received the death penalty earlier for his earlier crimes. Not that the way he died was right, but still, he, he was a criminal, a serial criminal. He's not no martyr. And so this is what's happening. The evildoers are not being punished. Those who are trying to do right are being punished. Not that there's no abuse of power. Yeah, of course that happens. But these kinds of excessive um, uh, uses or uses of force happen in all kinds of situations. Not just among the police, but in other professions also. People cross the line. Okay, that's an accepted fact. But not the predominance of people, they don't do that. Right. Not the predominance of police officers, they don't do that. So why are the innocent punished and the evildoers, the criminals, praised? That's the complete opposite. Opposite of what should happen. And then, let's just imagine that a police officer or a magistrate, someone in government, does wrong. What should we do? What should our actions be? Acts chapter 16, verse 35. Acts 16, 35. 16, 35. Now, when they came, the chief magistrate sent the policemen, saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, 
They have beaten us in public without a trial. Men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison, and now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. And they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Paul and Silas were mistreated, and they were going to be secretly sent away once they found out that the magistrates found out they did wrong. But Paul says, no, have them come and personally escort us, and then we'll go away. But Paul, it doesn't say in verse 40, and they went out of the prison and found some rabble-rousers and perpetrated violence and arsonry all around the city and looted and murdered innocent people. No, it doesn't say that. So it's never justified to do that in retaliation of wrongdoing, even by the government. Right. We, we're not supposed to do that and jeopardize the lives of innocent people in retaliation. That should never happen. Okay, now a few words on terminology and then a few points of Christian obligation. First, on terminology. Basically, what's happening here in the United States is an attack on white conservative Christian males. That's really what the attack is, because if they can be undermined, since they are the majority, and because of their beliefs, if they can be undermined, then the culture can be fundamentally transformed, as Barack Hussein Obama said. He said it's necessary to fundamentally transform the United States. And what he meant was get rid of all of its history, get rid of everything in the past, and even lately, in I believe the state of Virginia, the governor, a Democrat, said that they want to teach history only starting from 1968. <laughs> from 1968. That was a critical major change in the Democrat Party, 1968. Only teach it from that point onward. But my question is, why is it that certain terms are being used in order to shame white conservative Christian males? Why white privilege? What do they mean by white privilege? Well, you are privileged to have lived here, you and your ancestors lived here from the founding based on slavery, they say. That's what they mean by white privilege. White guilt. White guilt means you are guilty. Even though you never practiced slavery, you are guilty of what your ancestors did. How is that the case? Does the Bible look at it that way? White supremacy. They believe that whites inherent in their DNA, they believe themselves to be superior and they behave that way towards other people. Really, they believe that. Now, my question to them is, what about black pri privilege? Yeah. It's happening in the United States. They get preferential treatment. Even though they don't have merit, they have preferential treatment. And what about um, in the case of black supremacy? Many of them believe that inherently, <coughs> black people are superior to brown people, red people, yellow people, light brown people, and white people. Some blacks believe like that. So why don't we only talk about white supremacy? Then when they say systemic racism, systemic racism, as though 
It is per, has permeated every aspect of our society, and the fault is conservative Christian males. The fault is, and even in a political party, the Republican Party. That's where the fault is. They are the racists. It's, all, it's systemic or systematically throughout all of society. But I would argue, actually, there is systemic racism. Yes. But the seat of it is white, elitist, anti-Christian, godless, atheistic, communistic, wealthy billionaires in the Democrat Party. That's right. That's who's controlling what's happening. That's where the systemic racism is found. They are the ones doing it. Whenever they can, in the education uh, establishment, in media, in entertainment, in government, in business, wherever they can do it, that's where it's happening. It's their fault, not the conservative Republican. Then when they say, black lives matter, still dealing with terminology. Why do they say black? Why black? Uh, why not all, right? Because they don't believe in the image of God. They don't believe the image of God resides in everyone. They don't really believe that, but they say they do. Antifa, it, it's a, an abbreviation of anti-fascist. A fascist is similar to a Nazi or a communist, a Stalinist. They say they are against fascism. They brand themselves anti-antifa. When actually, by their beliefs and behavior, they are pro-fascism. They believe in it, which is also a sleight of hand that they practice. They are very adept at using terms to which you would never disagree, right? They are very adept at doing that. So we know about fascism from the time of the Second World War. We know about it from there. So who in, in his right mind would ever be pro-fascist? But they are. But in order to convince you, they claim to be anti-fascist. And all the while, they sneak in and promote fascism. Really, that's what they're doing. Planned Parenthood is a part of this cabal. Planned Parenthood. Such a wonderfully sounding name, Planned Parenthood. Parenthood is wonderful, and Planned Parenthood is even more wonderful. <laughs> Really? So who in the world could ever oppose that, right? It's such a euphemistic term. But actually, they don't believe in parenthood. Right. They believe in the slaughter of especially black and Hispanic and poor white children in the United States. That's what they really believe. And if you look at their so-called clinics, which are actually slaughterhouses of babies, their slaughterhouses of babies in most places throughout the United States, they are situated in black and Hispanic neighborhoods. And sometimes, if there are black neighborhoods and an Hispanic neighborhood adjacent to each other, it'll be right there between them, so that they can all have access to them. And a white, racist female, Margaret Sanger, founded this, founded this butchery many years ago. So, do they really? You see, we can't buy their terminology. You have to ask the question, whenever, whenever somebody uses a word, you have to ask yourself, train yourself to ask, why did he use that word? Why did the so-called newscaster use that word? 
Why did the politician use that word? Why did the pastor use that word? Why did the businessman use that word? Why did my friend use that word? What does he mean by that word and where is he going? And if we do that, it will help us to unpack what's actually going on all around us. Now, in terms of this false terminology, I've said Black Lives Matter, for example, claims to love black people. When actually, I submit, they actually hate black people and they exploit black people. They hate and exploit black people. Why? Because they don't say a word against the slaughter of black babies in the United States and around the world. In most places, these butcheries called clinics are actually for the slaughter of black babies. And you never hear a peep. You never hear anything about that. What about the murders that occur in Chicago and Baltimore and elsewhere? The cities in the United States where these murders are happening rampantly when, and nobody's doing anything about it are happening in Democrat-controlled states and cities. It's happening where they have control and they have had control for decades upon decades. It's not the Christians, and it's not the conservative Christians, it's not even the Republicans who are doing all this. It's usually, it's usually Democrats who are murdering black babies. And then, some of these cities, many of these cities, are governed, such as the mayors of many of these cities, are governed by black officials. And black women. Black men, but also black women. And they are merely exploiting their own people. They don't love their own people. If they love their own people, they wouldn't be pushing these agendas. They would get rid of the baby butcheries from their cities. They would get rid of the murders, the criminal activity, the drug dealings that produce a lot of the murders. They would get rid of all that from their cities. Yeah. But they don't care because they know that when the drugs come in, the, the gangs will give the politicians some money. They know that that's going to happen, and they do so. They don't care. And if they did care, these black officials, Democrat black officials in these cities and states, they would promote fatherhood. They would promote fatherhood. They don't promote fatherhood. They work against fatherhood. They encourage women, and black women especially, not to have husbands so that the government pays the women to have children and whatever other things they want or need, so they're not getting married. There is illegitimate, um, uh, a plague of illegitimate children throughout the black neighborhoods. No education. They don't do anything to make sure the education of the schools are, are good. They don't really care. If they did care, they would make sure that their schools were good. Why do they also not support good, sound, commonsensical black commentators? Why do they always jettison them, malign them, disparage them? Why do they do so? And I could name a few. Some names you have heard, maybe others you have not heard. Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, Clarence Thomas, you heard of him, black Supreme Court Justice. 
Larry Elder, Shelby Steele, Ben Carson, Ben Carson, and there's many others. Why do they never celebrate them and support them for their values and the good things that they have done and the ways in which they know to rectify this problem in black neighborhoods? They don't do that because they're not serious. They don't care. Okay, now, the Christian's obligation. What are our obligations? One, we have to reject and denounce BLM, Antifa, the Democrat Party. No Christian can support them. Absolutely. It's impossible for any Christian to support them. Number two, preach the true gospel. The true gospel that was mentioned earlier. Number three, preach against all sins. All sins must be addressed. All sins. Number four, pray according to 1 Timothy 2. Pray according to 1 Timothy 2, as we read, 2, 1 to 2, or 2, 1 to 7. Also pray to avert judgment. Judgment. The havoc that we experience is happening in part because of the complacency of Christians. Yeah. The Christians are not courageous. The Christians are not preaching the truth. The Christians are not getting involved. The Christians are not exposing what's actually happening. And when that happens, judgment comes. And if we don't repent and pray for God to avert this judgment, it will come. It's happening now, and it could get worse, much worse. Number five, expose falsehoods in education, entertainment, government, business, and church. And do not practice the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things which they do in secret. Ephesians 5, 11, and 12. Number six, fight daily. I know many people don't want to fight daily. Many people become discouraged, dispirited in fighting daily. But we must fight daily. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand the flaming missiles of the evil one. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6, 12. 2 Timothy 2, 3 to 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. We are destroying speculations and everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. Don't give up. Yeah. Do you want to speak Cantonese? Do you want to speak Arabic? Do you want to speak Cantonese and bow to Mao, a, a, a statue and an idol of Mao, Mao Zedong? You want to do that? Do you want to speak Arabic and bow to Allah five times a day, having the prayer call blaring in your neighborhood and everybody forced into Islam? You want to do that? You want your children and grandchildren to experience that? Then we have to do something about it because that's what's going on. They do want to take over. By the way, in the riots, there are some Muslims in, this, in these riots trying to promote Islam in the United States, exploiting the situation. Number seven, number seven, stop listening to liars. Stop listening to liars. We have, in our media, 
in the so-called news media, the common news media sources, in entertainment, in education, everywhere, everywhere you go, everywhere you go, we have a thousand lies blaring at us every day. A thousand lies a day. And they know that if they promote a thousand a day, they know that unsuspecting people, sometimes gullible people, people who believe that just because the TV said it, it must be true. Right. They know, the malicious ones, they know, if we, if we blare a thousand a day, we're going to be able to persuade people to believe a hundred of them, or ten of them. And the more they do it, day by day, day by day, more and more people are going to believe the lies. So stop believing the liars. Number eight. Number eight. Life is full of lesser evils. Life, life is full of lesser evils. You'll understand where I'm going with this. Examples of lesser evils. The wife we marry. The husband our wives marry. <laughs> the house we bought. The location where we purchased our house. The jobs we have. The food we eat. The cars we own. The countries in which we live. Right? Every day we make many, many choices in relation to these issues and we have to choose the lesser evil. We do the best we can with the circumstances presented to us because the world is fallen. It's sinful. Nobody is perfect, right? So we do the best we can every day. And if we do the best we can every day, we need to do it in voting. In voting. We must vote. Don't avoid voting, acting, speaking up, because the perfect candidate is not there. May I ask, would you vote for yourself? And I'm sure all of you in the room, if you were running as a candidate, you genuinely thought, if you genuinely thought that it was the right thing to do for you to run as a candidate, and let's say God called you, you are convinced that God called you to run as a political candidate, I guarantee you, I could find something seriously wrong with you. No doubt. Something seriously wrong with your beliefs, with your behavior, with your past, what you say you're planning to do, I could find something wrong with you. Does that mean you shouldn't run if God told you to run for office? Of course not. Yes. Uh, it doesn't mean you shouldn't run. You should run. And I shouldn't be quibbling because I don't have the perfect candidate. And the people who think, I'm not going to vote unless I have the perfect candidate, I guarantee you, if Jesus Christ were running for office today, they'd say, no, 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 no. They would say like P Peter said, uh, no, God forbid it, Lord, it, this shall not happen to you, right, going to the cross. So we would say to Jesus, no, no, God forbid it, don't do that, Lord Jesus. Politics is filthy, don't get involved. You're going to ruin yourself, you're going to be a bad example to others. And besides, you should just preach the gospel. Which means just preach from the Bible, but don't say anything, don't do anything as an implication of it. I guarantee you, people would be against Christ. No doubt. Running for office. However, point number nine, did, not Joseph, did Joseph sin in being ruler of Egypt? Joseph, no. Did Obadiah sin in being an official for evil King Ahab? 1 Kings 18. It said in verse, 1 Kings 18, 3, he feared the Lord greatly. But he was still an official for Ahab, an evil king. Did Daniel the prophet sin? He worked for Cyrus and Darius. 
Did his three friends, and also um, Nebuchadnezzar, did Daniel's three friends sin? They were officials in the court of a pagan Babylonian kingdom. Did Nehemiah sin? Did Mordecai sin? Because they were governmental officials for pagan governments. If it's wrong, then they sin. So, what should we do? Number 10. I believe that in our scenario today, the best of all the options is Donald Trump. And his kind of conservative Republicanism. Even there are many Republicans who are wishy-washy, who are skin savers, they're just worried about their reputation and their wallet. I understand that. But I don't see that in Donald Trump himself. I think he is more honest and has more virtue than any recent president, at least in my lifetime. And I'm 54 years old. He loves the country and its people. He has labored harder than anybody. He only sleeps three or four hours a day. Otherwise, mostly, he's doing work. Work to improve the country. He especially supports the Christian church more than others. He has said and done more against the butchery of babies than any president in my lifetime, including Ronald Reagan. Even though he did many good things, but he didn't do as much as Donald Trump to help and promote the Christian church in its values and its protections. And I say again, did Daniel the prophet sin when he supported Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan idolater, or Cyrus, an idolater, Darius, an idolater? Did Nehemiah sin when he supported Artaxerxes? Did Mordecai sin when he supported Ahasuerus? Did Joseph sin when he supported Pharaoh? No. The lesser evil. And this is what we have before us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says.